Good morning to you guys. Happy Pentecost Sunday. It's Pentecost, if you didn't know that. Pentecost celebrates the uh, events of Acts chapter number two. It's really the church's birthday, not like Connect Church's birthday, but the global church, the very first kind of gathering of the church after Jesus was resurrected happened in Acts two on Pentecost Sunday, and that is today. So happy Pentecost Sunday to you guys. It is going to be a special morning. Now, uh, we're not going to be in Acts chapter number two today. Instead, I want to read you a very famous section of the scripture, Romans chapter number eight, verses 28 and 29. If you don't know that passage, you're going to love it by the time we get done this morning. Let me read these words for you. The scripture says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Man, those are amazing, like, verses, right? Those are amazing words. If you really kind of, especially verse 28, that first sentence there, if you really dig into that, just kind of consider what it's saying there. This is a really encouraging section of scripture. This uh, passage has brought comfort to billions of people over the last 2,000 years. Believe it or not, Acts chapter, Acts, Romans chapter number eight is actually the fourth most Googled passage in the entire Bible. The fourth most. So like people are constantly searching this out online. Why? Because it is a word of great comfort. It's a reminder that no matter what you're going through, everything's going to be okay. That even when life circumstances seem out of your control, they are never out of God's control. Come on, I need that reminder every single day. Because it seems like no matter how hard I try to kind of keep my hands on things and keep things going in the direction I want them to go, I am not able to manage that very well. So the reminder that in all things, God is at work. In all things, God is turning situations for the good. That is a helpful reminder, something that I need to to know constantly. He can take ugly situations and turn them into something beautiful. So what I want to do this morning is I actually kind of want to walk just line by line, word by word almost, through this uh, section of the scripture, and I want it to encourage you. If you're going through some wild circumstances in your life right now, I want to remind you that God is at work that there is a purpose to the pain. There is a plan behind the circumstances that you're going through. I want it to greatly encourage you this morning. And I want it to challenge you a little bit because there's a part of this verse that we can't ignore. A part of this verse is actually critical to understanding the entirety of what's being said here. And I'll just be honest with you. This is not, uh, uh, the, the latter half of this passage is not quite as nice as the first half of this passage, okay? It's a little bit like bitter medicine, you know? How come no medicine tastes good? Even medicine they try to make taste good still tastes like garbage. It never tastes good, but we know it's helpful to us. And the things that we're gonna talk about this morning, they're a bit like that. It might be a little bitter at first, but if you'll understand it, if you will, if you will take it in, it will be good for you and for your soul, all right? So we're gonna talk about Romans 28 and 29. But before I do that, let me give you a little context here. The book of Romans, written by the Apostle Paul. It's a, it's a letter that's written to a church, to Christians in the first century in the ancient city of Rome. Romans is like the densest book in the New Testament. If you've ever tried to read it, you're like, 
whoa, okay. It's the deep end of the swimming pool. When people come to me and they say, hey, Dan, I want to start reading the Bible. Where should I start? I never recommend Romans to start, okay? Because there is a lot of depth, a lot of, of meaning and maturity behind these words. And if you were to start in chapter number one, the first three chapters, Romans one, Romans two, Romans three, are all detailing the fact that all of humanity has sinned and therefore been separated from God. All of us have violated God's rules in one shape, form, fashion, or another, sometimes purposefully, sometimes accidentally, but we've all been separated from God. The good news is, in chapters four and five, Paul details the fact that God sent Jesus so that we could be reconciled, so that we could be forgiven of our mistakes. We could be forgiven of our sins. And it's all due to faith. It's not because like, oh, well, we turn our lives around and we become really good people. It doesn't happen because we give money to the church. It doesn't happen for any other reason than because we trust that when Jesus died on the cross, it was as payment for all of our sins and mistakes. And then uh, chapter six, seven and eight are Paul talking about how we can live in freedom and victory because of what Christ has done for us. We're no longer kind of chained and bound by the, the sin that used to hold us back, but instead we have been set free in Jesus. And so these verses happen in this section of freedom and victory, reminders that God really has given us new purpose, new hope, new joy, and new meaning in life. So let's walk through this, okay? I, I want to start there with that first phrase. Do you recognize that Paul says, and we know? And we know that in all things, God is at work. I love that confidence. You know what I'm saying? Like, I love the fact that Paul says, we know this. We are certain. There is this certainty or confidence behind this particular uh, declaration here. The song that we sang this morning, we know, we know, we know. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves of what we know. Thank God for what we know, because there is a lot that we do not know in this life. Are you with me? Uh, James chapter number four reminds us that we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. None of us have any clue what's going to come about in the next 24 hours. In Psalm chapter number two, the, the psalmist is asking, God, why are people so terrible to each other? Like, I can't make sense of this. Like, shouldn't we just love each other and get along? We don't know why we don't treat each other as well as we should. Even here in Romans 8 and verse 26, Paul talks about the fact that very often we don't even know how or what we're supposed to be praying for. It's like sometimes we just don't even know. There is a lot that we don't know. We don't know when a Canadian team is ever going to win the stinking Stanley's <laughs> Cup again. Like, like, there is a team from the desert <laughs> that's about to go to the Stanley Cup ice hockey final. We, there's so much we don't know in life, okay? So much we don't know. But there are things that we do know. Things that we can be confident in, things that will keep us grounded and anchored and centered, things that will keep life from throwing us in this direction, in that direction, and pulling us beneath the waves. What are some of those things? Hey, we know that God exists. We know he does. We're confident of that. We believe that deep down in our heart. Does that mean we always have certainty or we never doubt? No, but we do have a, a confidence, a belief that God exists. We are certain that God loves us and we can keep this knowledge that God is at work. My friends, can I challenge you? Never abandon what you do know because of what you don't know. Come on. Never abandon what you do know 
because of what you don't know. There will always be more questions than answers in life. Like I have devoted my entire life to learning more about God and Jesus and the scripture. And you know what I've discovered? Every time I get one answer, I get three new questions. <laughs> I feel like I'm making progress, but then it's like one step forward, three steps back. I'm like, wow, now I have a whole new set of questions. This is true in your relationship with God. This is true in your romantic relationships. This is true in every area of life. There is so much that you will not know or you will not know right now. And there will be a tendency to let that fear, that uncertainty shake you. It, there will be kind of this, this, I don't know, inclination maybe to get pushed away and to be overwhelmed by the things that you are uncertain of and the things you don't know. But listen, you should not let what you don't know push you away from what you do. When there is tension, when you're feeling frustrated because you don't have all the answers, instead of letting that push you off, instead, just trust what you know. Yeah. Trust what you know yeah. is true. Never let your question marks override God's exclamation points. God has given us so many answers. You know what the scripture says? God has given us everything we need to know for godly living. Everything we need to know about following him, he has given us those answers. He hasn't given us every answer to every question under the sun, but what you need to know, he has already given you. So we've got to be really careful that we never abandon what we do know because of what we don't. So when Paul starts off this section, he says, listen, anchor yourself in the truth of what we're about to say. Do not let doubts or fears, do not let your spiritual enemy push you off of the truth that we are about to talk about here. And we no. What do we know? Well, we know that in all things, in all things, man, this is like the greatest piece of assurance ever, isn't it? Like, just, just look at that. In all things, God is at work. Notice that Paul doesn't say, you know, in some things, God is at work. You can trust that like, 80% of everything that goes on in your life, God's got you covered. Now, the other 20%, you're going to have to figure out, but like, that's a minor. No, it says in all things, not in some things. It doesn't say in most of it. It doesn't say, you know, in the good things, God is at work. No, it says in all things. Do you realize that means that on your worst day, God is every bit as much active and present That's right. as your best day. Yeah. Whew. That can be tough to remember. That can be hard to remind ourselves. Like, no, I'm going through it, God, and it seems like you're not there with me. Look, when you are uncertain, trust what is certain. Don't let what you don't know push you away from the things you do know. God, I don't know what you're doing in this situation right now, but I trust that in all things... You are at work yes. in all circumstances, in every situation. Sometimes in your worst days, you just need to call out the presence of God and say, Lord, you're here. I don't see it. I don't really feel it, but I trust it. Yeah. I trust that in every single thing that might happen, you are with me and you are at work. In prosperity and in adversity, God is there. In suffering and in celebration, God's there. Marriage or divorce, diagnosis or healing, hard work, rest, promotion, layoff, 
addiction, deliverance, on the mountain, in the valley, in the city, out in the country, with your friends and family, all by yourself, in all things, in all things, in all things, we know that God is at work for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. In fact, I think we've got to remind ourselves that every situation has a purpose. Every situation that you go through has a purpose. I'm actually going to show you what the primary purpose is in every situation you go through this morning. So it's not like, okay, well, when you get to the situation, you got to figure out, is God doing A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O. You know, it's not like there are a million. There is one thing that God is trying to accomplish every single day in your life. And there may be other uh, objectives that God has as well. But if you get focused on the other objectives and you miss the first one, the main purpose of what God is trying to do in your heart and life every single day, then you will always be frustrated. And I'm going to tell you what that is very shortly. Every situation has a purpose. Nothing is random. Nothing is wasted. Nothing is outside the scope of God's providential care. Maybe we should stop asking, why is this happening? And start asking, what is God doing? What is God doing in this circumstance? What is, he, what is he trying to bring about? Not why, but what? Now listen, we're going to talk. So um, next week, we're kicking off a series on the book of Job. And so we're going to be asking the question, like, why does God allow um, really tough and, and horrible things to happen to good people? And we're going to deal with the why question. But can I tell you, the what question is far more important than the why question. It really is. The what question is far more important than the why question. And I, I just, this isn't even in my notes. And I'm going to say this a couple times in the Job series, but some of you guys won't be here for it. So I might as well just go ahead and give it to you anyway. Uh, here's why. Okay. When you ask God, why is this happening? You're looking for uh, intellectual answers. Give me an explanation. Give me a rationale. Give me a reason for why this is going on. But here's the thing, okay? Uh, intellectual answers, factual answers will never satisfy emotional pain. Right. Never satisfy emotional pain. So like, let's say that you have a loved one that dies and you say, God, why? And he says, well, here's why. And he lays out the whole plan and kind of on the biggest scale, you can start to understand it. Do you suddenly not feel the pain of loss anymore? No, of course not. That's because intellectual answers can't satisfy emotional pain. Every situation has a purpose. So stop asking, why is this happening? Start asking, what is God doing? Or at least first ask, what is God doing? Hey, we see a great example of this in the book of Genesis, right? Book of Genesis, you go to chapter 37, all the way through chapter 50. It's like the last third of the entire book. And we hear this story of a kid named Joseph. Now we don't have time to tell Joseph's entire story today, but let me give you some highlights. He's born to a family with a lot of brothers and there's a lot of jealousy and infighting. And in fact, Joseph was his father's favorite son. And his brothers got so jealous of how much love and affection and attention that Joseph got from their father that they actually uh, took, they kidnapped their brother. They sold him to slave traders in the ancient world. Then they went home and told their dad, we were hiking in the woods and an animal came out of nowhere and mauled him to death. How terrible, how awful, dad. So his dad's grieving the supposed loss of his son, Joseph goes on, he's working as a slave in an Egyptian household. He starts to kind of gain some, some, you know, good things in life. And then he's falsely accused of rape and he's thrown into jail. And then he's left in, in jail to rot for like many years. And then eventually he, uh, through a series of circumstances, is promoted out of jail. He's suddenly working for the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he is reunited with his brothers. 
at the end of the book. It's a wild story. And, and one of the things that makes the Joseph story so beautiful is that at the end, when his brothers realize, oh my gosh, here we are face to face with the kid that we kidnapped and sold into slavery. He's going to have us all killed. He said, no, 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 no. Everything that happened, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Right. Every situation has a purpose. Boy, that doesn't make the situation easy to go through doesn't mean anybody wants it, but you can trust that in all things, when your brothers kidnap you and sell you into slavery, my goodness, (laughs) in false accusations, in your good days and in your bad days, God works. That's the next phrase. God works. God is at work. God is never not at work. He's never taken a day off. I need a day off every so often. God never takes a day off in all things. Every day, God works. This is a statement of faith and not fate. Faith, not fate. We trust not just that, you know what, things are going to work out good because I'm a good person. That's the way it's got to go. No. We trust that God is at work. The creator of all things is working about his plan. The father is orchestrating his will. We may not always understand it, but we can trust it. Life is not a series of just random or or, um, purposeless cause and effect. It is the result of our father's sovereignty, his work in the world. Can I just even put this out there? And, And if this steps on your toes, I am not trying to upset or offend anybody, but please, for the love of God, if you are a Christian, stop putting things out into the universe. Please just stop. Like I just respectfully. Okay. You're a follower of Jesus. You believe that God is an actual being and person, not an impersonal force that exists out there. And so even like in our social media posts, even the way that we think we've got to remind ourselves, God is at work. Universe is not at work. God is at work. The universe can't take my, my random circumstances, my life happenings and make them into something good. Only God can do that. So let's be really careful that we don't rob God the glory of his hard work. Like, can you, like, can you just imagine, okay, for a moment that you have kids and you buy those kids a Christmas gift and they're so excited and you bought the expensive stuff on their list this year. You with me? And the kids rip open the gifts on, on Christmas morning and then they jump on their uh, Instagram and their TikTok because they're like eight and they have that. And they're like, this is the best Christmas ever. I want to thank the universe for giving me a new bike. And you're like, hey, wait, wait, wait a sec. Your father and your mother gave you a new bike. Like, could you at least honor what we did for you here? It's appropriate when someone gives you a gift, it's appropriate to thank them, to honor them, to recognize them as the one who provided the gift. In all things, it is God who is at work. God is the one who is providing. And so we want to acknowledge that. Even as we talked last week in our prayer uh, sermon, we, we acknowledge God, his sovereignty, his power, his goodness in all things, okay? Uh, there is, no, again, I just, I'm not trying to take anybody off. There is no law of attraction. Karma is not real. Even sowing and reaping, which is a biblical metaphor, it has its limits, Okay. God is the one who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond anything we might ever ask 
or imagine. If God is the one who's at work, which is what this verse says, then I've got to constantly remind myself that God doesn't need my help running things. God is at work. That means I don't have to be at work all the time. I can take a day off and my family and my job and my life will not fall apart. And you know what? God has some qualities about him that make him fit to run things that I think I might be lacking. Let's see. Scripture says God is omnipotent. That means he is all powerful. I am not. I know that's a surprise. <laughs> when, I, when I hit the weight rack, there is a limit at which I cannot. I'm just, okay, that's it. That's my max. God doesn't have a max. Are you with me? God is omniscient. That means he is all knowing. I try to, try to be a smart guy. I think I'm a smart guy, but guess what? I have more questions than answers. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. Are you? God is omnibenevolent. That means he is all and always good. Are we? No. So let's let him work. Like, let's let him be God. Let's let him, you know, put his plan into motion instead of constantly trying to fight him for control and put our own plan into motion. For goodness sake, I struggle to make my bed in the morning. Are you with me? <laughs> like, that's the easiest thing I could do. And I don't. So maybe I'm not always the best person to be in control of my life and circumstances. It is God who is at work. And so we give God the glory for that. And we submit and surrender to him because he is the one who can make it work. We know that in all things, God works for the good. For the good. Now I want you to notice, this passage doesn't say, well, all things in your life are good. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say, God works so that you only get good things in your life. No, that's not what it says. Obviously, there are things that happen to us all the time that are not good. You get a cancer diagnosis. You have to deal with death. There are natural disasters. We've got poverty and adultery and, and who knows what else, right? So the verse is not saying that, you know, oh, well, Christians just believe that everything is good always. No, but we know that in all things, God is at work bringing about a good resolution, no matter the circumstances, all right? God can and does use all things to bring about his good plan. God decides what's good. You need to know that. Now, I have a concept of what I think is good, but God is the one who decides what is truly good. And the reason that God has to be the one is because of all those omnis, like his character, his abilities that we don't possess, that he, uh, because of those, he's the only one who's qualified. And I can demonstrate that to you because there are things that I'm going to say are good that you would say, oh no, that's not good. Why would you say that? And then if we ask a third person, they would say, you're both wrong. None of those are good. I'll tell you what's good. So we can't decide what is good amongst ourselves. So instead, we trust the one who is all good to tell us what is good. God decides what's good. And, and I'll show you what he believes to be good here in just a moment. Second, um, it might not seem, what God gives to us might not seem good in the moment. Sometimes God will cause things to happen to you and you'll say, well, this isn't good. 
And God will say, I know it doesn't seem good to you right now, but one day, everything you go through, you will be in heaven and you will look at me and you will say, Father, you knew best. I trusted you. I, I didn't trust you as well as you should have, but I, I, I really, I see now that what you did, you used for good. It ended up being good in my life. I can give you just one of the most powerful uh, examples of this that I could ever share with you. It's a story of a missionary named Jim Elliott. Anybody ever heard the Elliott story before? We've got a photo. A few of you guys have. Yeah, it's a very powerful story. So, uh, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, they were missionaries in the 1950s and they had four friends. They all went to college together and uh, they decided that God was calling them to go to South America, to the country of Ecuador and to minister to uh, the Aka Indians. This was a completely unreached tribe of people. They didn't know anything about Jesus. They'd never seen missionaries. They'd barely seen any white people ever. Like this was a very, this is one of those like remote Amazonian kind of tribes. And so they, they learn the language. They go down to, to Quito, Ecuador, the capital, and they study from people who used to be in the village, but had left for the big city and they learn the language. And then they gather supplies and they learn how to fly planes and all of these different things. And then they, they jump in a plane, the four of them, the four men, and they fly over the Amazon jungle and they land there on a beach. This is a photo of the day they landed. And of course the tribesmen come out to greet them and they're, they're talking to them in their language and they bring gifts and there's a back and forth and everything seems to be going so well. They spend hours on the beach with the tribes people that day. The next, or the, at the end of the day, they said, okay, we've got to go, but we're coming back tomorrow. And so they jump in the plane, they fly away, they come back the very next morning. And when they get there, tribes people are waiting on the beach. As soon as the, the four men step out onto the beach, they're attacked and they're killed with bows and arrows by the tribesmen. And what they didn't know, the missionaries, was that in the intervening day, there was somebody in the tribe that said, these men have come to take our wives, take our daughters as their wives, and we can't let them. And so these four men were murdered because they wanted to go in love and share the truth of Jesus with people. And you say, wow, that's a terrible story. Well, yeah, if the story ends there, it's a terrible story, but it gets a whole lot better. Because Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, she took her child, knowing that these people had killed her husband, and she went back. She showed up, and she loved them, and she served them, and she shared Jesus with them. And to condense a wonderful story that you should read, there are many movies that are made about this, to condense a wonderful story, the very men who killed her, her husband accepted Jesus, became Christians and leaders at the church there among the Aka people. Now, a significant portion today of these people are Christians because of that whole circumstance that happened. I, I want you to just consider this for a moment. Right now in heaven, Jim Elliott and the dude that speared him through the chest are worshiping Jesus together. In all things, God is at work for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Like, do you think the day that, that Jim Elliot died, Elizabeth was like, wow, this is a good thing. No, of course not. 
But if we take a long enough view, we see that God can take tragedy and he can turn it into something triumphant. He can take something horrific and turn it into something beautiful. This is the kind of God. We have a God who exchanges beauty for ashes. We have a God who brings resurrection out of death. Like, I don't say this as somebody who's never had my own share of heartache. I say this as somebody who knows deeply what it's like to be hurt and wounded. And I trust that in all things, God is at work for the good, for the good, for the good. There's a, another Christian, a, a Christian who uh, is alive today, but she actually, she, maybe she's passed away. Sorry, I may have misspoken, but she knows herself what it's like to be deeply acquainted with pain and um, to doubt God's goodness in the middle of life circumstances. Her name is Joni Erickson Tata, and she uh, actually had a, a diving accident in the water and became a, a, a quadriplegic her whole life. For like 50 years, she was in a wheelchair. And she, she said, you know, one time somebody asked her like, man, how, how can you trust God? Like, don't you just sit around every day and say, why God, why God, why God, why God? And she says this, God allows what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. God allows what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. And so sometimes what happens to you today might not seem good, but by tomorrow it will. And if not by tomorrow, eventually in eternity, I promise everything we go through we will look back and say, God, you worked that situation out for the good. Now, I got to wrap it up. But I can't wrap it up without this last phrase. We know that in all things, God is at work for the good. And if it stopped right there, we could all say amen and wander out and just feel happy knowing that God is at work. But it doesn't stop there. The passage goes on and it says, God is at work For who? God is at work for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Now, this is the part I told you. This is like medicine. At first, this is going to seem bitter, but it'll actually be good for your soul to understand this, okay? The promise that we just read in Romans 28 is not for the whole world. It's not. And I wish it was but I'm not God. God sees things I don't see. The promise that he makes here is that for those who trust him, for those who love him. And and when he says those who are called according to his purpose, understand this is just two sides of the same thing. So from our perspective, we love God. From his perspective, we've been called according to his purpose. You see, it's just like two viewpoints of the same person. The promise here is to those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. The promise is for those who love God. Now, why? Why does God couch it this way. It's not because he doesn't love people who don't believe in him. The scripture says that God loves the entire world. He wants everybody to know him. He has a good plan and a purpose for absolutely everybody. But consider first that this promise, it doesn't even make sense if you don't believe there's a God, right? Like if if you're here and you're like, yeah, I don't even believe there's a God, then you don't care about this, okay? So, Consider first that this really does apply to people to whom it might matter, but it's even more than that. I want, you to, I want you to catch this. This is why you can't read verse 28 without also reading verse 29. You have to have these two verses together. Verse 28 does not make sense without verse 29, okay? So in verse 29, this is what the scripture says. Let's put it on there. The scripture says that God, yes, he is at work for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. We're going to just skip over those words for today. We'll have another chat about them later. 
to be conformed to the image of his son, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Okay, so here, I told you earlier, God is going to work every situation out for your good. Everything that happens, God is going to work it out in such a way that we will look back and we'll say, that was good. I didn't see it in the moment. It was hard to understand when I was going through it, but now I recognize it is for the good. Here is the good that God is trying to accomplish in your life. He wants to conform you to the image of his son, Jesus. He wants to make you more like Christ. Everything God does, every circumstance you go through, every good day, every bad day, every high and every low, every uh, question, every answer, everything that you do, the thing that God is trying to do, the thing that he can say is always good, is that in this process, you would become more like Jesus. This is what it's all about. God is constantly and consistently trying to make you more like Christ. That is the eternal end result of his plan to make us more like Jesus so that we can spend eternity with Jesus. The truth is all of the joy in life will amount to nothing and all the heartache in life will be for nothing if you enter eternity without Christ. It'll all be worthless. Like all the highs won't matter. All the lows will be for nothing. If one day you stand before God and he says, how many times did I call you? How many times did I reach out to you? How many times did I give you blessings hoping that you would turn your eyes to me? How many times did I humble you hoping that you would surrender and say yes to me finally, but you rejected me then. You rejected me. You rejected me again and again. And so the promise here, catch this, this is so important. The promise here, God's goal, he's working everything out for good. God's goal is not to make us comfortable, it's to make us Christ-like. Yes, that's right. God's goal is not to make you comfortable. So if you claim Romans 8.28 and you say, ooh, God is going to make me, he is working all things for the good. My life is going to be good. It's going to be easy. I'm not going to have pain. God's going to fill my bank account and he's going to make my marriage perfect. And I'm going to have the best kids and I'm going to have the the most fulfilling job. And I'm always, you misunderstood this completely because God's goal is not to make you comfortable. It's to make you Christ-like. Understand that very often the only way you can become Christ-like is to be made uncomfortable. In fact, it's through Jesus that we understand everything I just said is true. Think about it like this. Jesus came to earth. He came so he could reveal the Father to us to show us what God is like, that he loves us, that he embraces and accepts everyone, and that he would go to any lengths so that we could know him. But then the very people that he came to rejected him. They abused him. They nailed him to a cross killed him, buried him, and hoped to forget him. You got to imagine on Good Friday, God's plan didn't seem very good. In all things, in the death of the Messiah, God is at work. You better believe he is at work. Good Friday, God was at work. Saturday, God was at work. Sunday, we see that God is at work. 
Jesus experienced everything that you experience. All the highs and lows, heartaches and pain, the questions, the doubts, the suffering. He experienced all of that. Why? So that as that passage says, can we put Romans 8, 28 and 29 back on there? It says, so that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That what is true of Christ will be true of every single one of us. That everything we go through in the end will be overwhelmed by the love and the victory of Almighty God. But the only way we'll ever experience that is if we choose to love God and to be loved and called by him in return. So I'm going to invite everyone here, bow your head, close your eyes. I'm just certain that there is somebody that says, you know what? I am tired of going through life circumstances without knowing the author of those circumstances. I want, I need God in my life. And if that's you today, I'm going to invite you to just repeat this very simple prayer after me. You can say it in your heart, but you're speaking to God. You're not speaking to me. You might say this, dear Jesus, today, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I trust that you can take everything that happens in my life and turn it into something good. So God, I ask you today to make me more like Jesus and to love and serve you every single day for the rest of my life. I thank you for your gift of mercy in Jesus' name. Amen.